Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Guess what today is? It's Monday and it's time for another podcast, but it's our 31st podcast today. So it's officially, without argument, our one month into podcasting. I'm so excited. Oh my gosh, I we see We made it, on it your a face. month, bro. We made it a month. Oh my gosh. We are here, we are ready. And we're ready to deliver you another Hardly Millennial podcast where we are young, dumb, and full of... Opinions, guys. Opinions. Yeah. As always, my name is Adam. I'm Matthew Lynn. What's going on? And today, we're going to do more philosophical shit for you. We had fun. We only got to do, like, what, three yesterday? <laughs> three out of, bullshit. like, a hundred. Yeah. <laughs> we want to do more, here. guys. We loved it. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a lot of fun. So without further ado, let's just jump right into it, huh? Just jump into it? Let's do it. Which one you All got right. for us to start with, Matthew? Well, I cheated in good old millennial fashion. Good, good. And um, I found a really good one to start with. Okay. So it goes like this. If you, Adam, could teach everyone in the world one concept, so s- simultaneously everyone in the world would learn one thing. Okay. Which concept would have the largest impact on humanity? What's uh, I'm confused with what you mean by concept. So like like a skill or like a way of thinking. A skill, or... a way of thinking. If you could teach everyone in the world um, to read on a. Uh, master's degrees level, or if you could teach everyone about good hygiene, or teach everyone about good diet, or... Gotcha. Just anything. Hmm. If we... Teach everyone how to weld. If we... How to weld. If we could teach everybody how to do one thing, I think... mm, I think everybody should know a second language. Oh, that's really interesting. I think that's what you know. What I would actually go farther and say everybody should learn two languages. Languai. Languai. Wow. <laughs> S- simply just because, like, I most places in the world, aside from us, you know, have to learn two languages. Most well, people have to learn know. English. Yeah, English. Yeah, of course. So, like, I would argue to say everybody should learn two languages, aside from their native one. That's super interesting. Yeah. So you think the the communication ability would, would enhance the world? Well, not so much the communication per se, although that is a factor, obviously. But I remember I watched a TED Talk once, and there was a – what's somebody who knows languages? <coughs> a, a, lingu- a linguist? Is that what they're called? Somebody who knows sure. multiple Sounds languages? Good. Absolutely. So I hardly know my own language. <laughs> I couldn't tell you. <laughs> so they, they had a linguist on, and they were talking in regards to – what learning another language does, you know, and it's not just That's a matter. really good for your brain, dude. Exactly. It's like learning the piano. It's yeah. like, su- it unlocks like all kinds of doors in your brain. Well, and that was just it. So they were talking about in regards of just how different languages are, are set up structurally. Right. They were talking about how it forces your mind to think in different ways, almost a w- uh, forcing it to think out of the box in different ways. Yes. So once you know a language fluent enough to where you're able to think in that language, it forces you to think about things from a different way, a different angle. So I think it would benefit everybody greatly if you knew two of them. I think that specifically Latin and Germanic-based languages. Mm -hmm. Because I think apart from English, which many countries use, and there's many variations of English. Yeah. You know, there's Old English, New English, England English. Yeah. So there's that, but then... Pretty much, if you're not that, you're either Germanic-based or most are Latin-based languages. 
Yeah. There, well, are, I, there are many that are their own separate thing. Right. But, like, those are the three main structures. And I feel like if you know one of those, you kind of have a really good grasp on all of those that fall into that category. Yes. And I think I think there's one more you're missing, too, but I can't think of the name of it. But it goes back to, like, so, for example, uh, like, Russian. I, yeah. I dabbled in Russian a little bit, right? Yeah. And the way that Russian does their language is, is they have a case system, right? So there's six separate cases you go off of. And these cases are basically, just to simplify a case, the case system is like, if somebody owns something, something, a subject, a noun, a verb, you okay. know, how sentences are set up. So the way that it works is that if you make sure you have the right. So if I say, like, I have a dog, right? Uh-huh. In the Russian language, from my understanding, you're able to structure that sentence any way you want. So you can say dog I have, you can say have I dog, but as long as you have the right case in there at the end of one of the words, the person you're speaking to who knows Russian will know what you're saying. They'll know, oh, you're saying you have a dog. So if you know Russian, then it becomes a lot easier to learn a language like Nordic or Finnish that have like, I know Finnish, for example, has 16 case rules. Oh my gosh. To memorize. Yeah. So, and it's like the same thing with like English, like English speakers have a lot harder time learning something like Japanese because of their system or somebody who knows Japanese will have a lot easier time learning like Korean, you know? So like it goes off. I know that that, like if you stick within like Latin based languages, Mm -hmm. which would be like the, the languages of love. So, uh, French, um, Spanish. Spanish. I'm not sure if Italian would be considered. Italian's on there. I think, I think it's on there too. Um, in all of those, like how here we would say, we use the mm-hmm. adjective first. Yeah. It's called an adjective. So you'd say like the black cat. Right. In all of those languages in Latin base, you'd say the cat black. Yeah. Um, so it's the same words, but you structure them differently, like you're saying. Right. And I know in, in French, and I would assume, because my family is from France, they all speak French. Mm-hmm. Um, I would assume in Spanish as well, there's a lot of rules that have to do with masculinity and femininity in words. The same exact word, you'll have a masculine spelling and usage, and you'll have a feminine spelling and usage. Mm -hmm. Um, And it doesn't necessarily coincide 100% with if you're talking about a boy or a girl. Uh The actual word itself will will be a feminine or a masculine word. It doesn't really have to do with sex. It's weird. Yeah. Um, And then on top of that, there's also many different variations of the same word depending on who in society you're talking to. Yeah, ja- so Japanese I know is greatly the different based off levels. Of that. Yeah, yeah res- respect is a big thing. So if mm-hmm. you're talking to an elder or a teacher, you would say the same word much differently than if you're saying it to a friend or even your parent. Or, right. There's many variations of the same word. Yeah. Well, like I I know a specific example of that in Spanish is like. If you say like, if you say like, you know, uh, como estas, which is just how are you, right? You know, if it's somebody who's like up here, like you and I, you know, you say like bien, y tú, which is just good, and you. But if you're talking to like an adult or an elder, it's bien y usted, because usted is more of a formal word to use. How are you? Instead of saying, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. And and Japanese, I know for a fact, has tons of those. So it's different if you're talking to a kid, if you're talking to a teenager if you're talking to a teacher, uh, mm-hmm. you know. Which you would think, like to our brain, because uh-huh. we do a lot of things where 
will use one word and it has a lot of like overscaping value. Yeah. You know, you can use the same word interchangeably. Mm-hmm. Slang is what I guess we would call it. Yeah. So you would think that makes it easier and having all these specifics makes it harder on your brain. Yeah. But it's actually it's kind of the opposite. If you grow up around it, like the other languages in the world are actually easier to get a grasp of. They mm-hmm. say that English is the hardest second language to learn. Yes. And most people, if you ask them, would say Chinese, Mandarin, is the hardest mm-hmm. second language, right? Because it's totally different. But the fact that they're so specific, mm-hmm. it's like your brain never has to work. You never have to fill in any blanks. You know yeah. exactly how to say each word in each instance, and mm-hmm. it only works in that instance. Yeah, well, and the the reason why English is such a hard language to learn is because we have, we have rules, but we have so many exceptions. The society rules the over rule. overgo the, yeah. the language rules. So Russian, for example, th- this is a good one. So like English, English, right? The English alphabet. You have the letter A, right? Which mm-hmm. can make three different sounds and say a, uh, a, uh, or a, right? In different right. words, different contexts. So Russian, for example, also starts with the letter A, but it's just a. Uh, uh. And if you see the letter A, it makes the sound a. Uh, period. End that's of story. A, that's very common in all of Europe, actually. Yeah. All the European countries. Mm-hmm. Their alphabet is the... Ex- well, I don't know about the Russian alphabet, but mm-hmm. all of the Western European countries, right. typical Europe that you would think of, mm-hmm. um, they have the same exact alphabet we do, but they say it totally differently. Yeah. Every so, letter is the sound that it makes. Mm-hmm. So Russian is a little different. I mean, there's 33 letters in the alphabet. but Yeah, one, weird looking. But one thing when I was dabbling into Russian is once I was able to learn the alphabet and knew what all the symbols were and all of that, like... I may not be able to understand Russian, but if you put Russian text in front of me, you can like sound it out. I can sound it out and read really? it. Really? So that does work in other languages. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. So and you're able to do that because you know every letter makes a single noise. Now there are some exceptions, but for the most part it, it's all very like linear. Whereas like English, you know, I remember seeing a post somebody made once where they were like, "Here's why the English language is hard." And they gave an example of a bunch of words. Uh one that comes to mind is like desert and dessert yeah you know little things like that are they literally the same word no well i think one has like an extra s in it or something but to somebody who doesn't know english i've been speaking english for almost 30 years and even i get fucked up on yeah (laughs) or even just things like we say like oh i have you know like oh i really have to go well where do that means you have to go to the bathroom right yeah you know so we have like little nuances like that in there that people are like what the fuck it's it's interesting. Um, my mom's from France, and she'll say things like "flip the button," oh put, yeah, and push the switch. Where here we would say "flip the switch" and push the button. Right. She gets mixed up. She'll say "eat your plate" uh-huh. instead of "eat your food." <laughs> um, like just little things like that. Right. I don't know. It's it must it must be her brain trying to convert it to the French, the, at least the structure. Because yes. it, it got trained the first 20 oh, years yeah. of her life in French. Well, and I would argue that your mom probably still thinks in French, you know, if that was her first language. For a long time, yes. Mm-hmm. And you know what goes last, honestly, mm. what's funny, is counting. Really? She, yeah, she'll still to this day count in French. If she's counting money or something she really wants to focus on and get uh-huh. correct, like it matters, she'll count in French, not English. Really? And she'll add to 
Artois, Catrasanxis. Interesting. I, I mean, I guess that makes sense, especially yeah. I mean, when it comes to money, you want to make sure you're focusing. As, as far as talking, I think that, that that has gone away. I think now she thinks in, in English. English yes. also. Because if you ask her something about French, she's been here for 40 years oh, or yeah. 30 yeah. some odd, 36 years or whatever. Uh-huh. So she'll um, she has to stop and think for a minute about the French sometimes, but she never has to stop okay. and think about the English. Oh, okay. But it's funny, counting, and I've seen it with a lot of people. My grandmother was the same. My grandmother um, was not the sharpest tack in the box in general, mm-hmm. but she was phenomenal at math. Okay. She was super phenomenal at math, dude. I remember as a kid, just she would go at it on her checkbook, dude. She was really good. Right. And she always counted in French in her native language. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that makes sense, though. Well, we digressed a little bit. What is... uh it's language. <laughs> I know, languages. Uh, what would you teach everybody? Um, well, my thing, and really, it's funny because most people in the world already know this. You really just have to teach it to, you know, westernized people. Would be <laughs> how to grow your own food. I think that yeah. would make a huge, huge impact on the world in general. Yeah. Um, not even to get rid of all the grocery stores. Like, they're great. They're phenomenal. I love the concept of the grocery store. But just the skills of working with plants. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody in my day-to-day life that I encounter knows shit about plants unless they're specifically interested in it. If you just go up and talk to someone about plants, they just know you put them in the sun and they grow. Yeah. Like they don't know. I don't know. I don't want to rag on society too much here. No, no, you're, you're you're absolutely right. I just feel like there's such a detachment from, from, the earth from mother nature anymore it'd be nice to get back to it a little bit more i i i do agree with that i mean i even think back to when i was younger you know and if i wanted to you know there were times when i was like oh i I want to buy this seed so i can grow it in the backyard or whatnot you know and all i did was just planted it and you know watered it ever so often and they never survived you know and now and now that i'm you know here with justin who's really into gardening and planting right now all of a sudden it's like oh shit there's a fucking lot that goes into this it's really, it's like anything else that you want to be successful with mm-hmm. in life. It's consistency mm-hmm. and having that that dedication, not giving up. Like yeah. going out every single day and you got to check the leaves on them. Mm-hmm. And you got to, plants are really weird. Man. I could talk about plants for a really long time. I really yeah. enjoy plants. But in essence, they have issues in their little plant lives mm-hmm. um, and they have ways to convey the message to you that they're having issues right it's very interesting to me to try to put together what a plant is showing you Uh showing your eyes it's trying to tell you something um and trying to figure out that mystery before the plant gets too sick is really fun for me interesting yeah you get a certain like satisfaction when you have a big healthy plant that you grew Mm -hmm. i don't want to say it's like raising a kid because i've never raised a kid right but i will say there's like an absolute satisfaction to just saying, like, I brought a good life to this thing. Yeah. Its life was so good that it could grow and live its best life. Well, especially if you're growing, like, food, you know? Yeah. Oh, it tastes. Mm-hmm. Just the word I can use really is cleaner. Uh, you guys have probably, like, grown your own tomatoes before. It's pretty popular, mm-hmm. right? And just when you bite into that tomato from your garden, it's got 
it's almost like the skin is thicker on it. It's you know what I mean. It's very it's different. Hardier. I've I remember. Uh, I ha- I don't think I've had any like at least not that I can currently remember any like fruit or vegetables that somebody like grew. But I have had things like well vegetables. I have had like spinach and basil and things like that. that A lot of us have, have had grown. oranges and yeah, grapefruit yeah, yeah. that and, people have grown. And there definitely is a difference in the taste. Phenomenal. They're I, not as sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, they're more watery. And they're a lot heftier, too. They yes. fill you up faster. Yeah, they are girthy, dude. Um, I don't know. It just it feels good to eat stuff that you grew. Yeah. Well, it, fe- it feels healthy. I mean, I it even goes with, like, meat, too. You know, I've, I've yeah, done things. I've never tried things. that, but I would assume it's the same. Well, I remember, you know, for the longest time, it was, you know, and, and a lot of us do this. If I wanted, like, red meat or steak or something like that or sausage, whatever it was, you know, you yeah. go to Walmart and you buy whatever's there and yeah, you absolutely. eat it, you know. And, and it's not that it's unhealthy for you. It's all it's, we know. It's Yeah, it's red meat. But I remember then there was one point I found myself at Whole Foods. I had a little extra oh my money. God, I love Whole Foods. Yeah. Well, and I bought a couple slabs of steak oh, that they had man. that was in everything there is grass fed, right? And so and I so I cooked it and I had some of this grass fed meat and it it literally tasted it tasted very different. It does from going to get like the grain fed meat from Walmart. A lot of people would use the the explanation. They would say this is not as flavorful. Yes. They would say yes. this is lighter. This is not. This doesn't taste as good. But what they mean is they're not cleaner. tasting the salt and the preservatives. There's yes. literally a flavor to that stuff, guys. Mm-hmm. And we're so used to it, we enjoy that flavor. It tastes good to us. Yeah. There's zero of that in the Whole Foods meat, dude. Mm-hmm. I really think Whole Foods is kind of the closest thing to going in your backyard and picking stuff. I would agree. I mean, and fuck. even Whole Foods. I mean, it's months between yeah. picking and your mouth. Yeah, but yeah, still. Yeah. Well, and I, I totally agree with you. I mean, fuck. If I was rich, I'd you know do all my grocery shop oh, at Whole God. Foods. That but... stuff is. It's expensive, guys. Yes. But if you find yourself with some extra money wanting to eat healthier. I think you really owe it to yourself, honestly, to mm-hmm. go check out Whole Foods. And honestly, you know, there was a time where I was trying I was trying to do most of my grocery shopping at Whole Foods. And you would actually be surprised at how, how much it actually does even now. Because when you start to eat all just this healthy, organic food, and like we said, you know, an organic apple, it might be smaller, but it fills you up it's faster. You, that is true. You don't eat as you much. Know? Yeah. So, it lasts longer. Yeah, because that was the same thing when I, I bought, like, with this grass-fed meat, I remember buying like the same size slabs that I usually do at Walmart, but I couldn't get through all of it, you know, just because it filled me yes. up faster. And it's not, just so no one gets the wrong idea here either, it's not specifically a diet store. No, no, um, no. They have brownies and cake and cookie, oh, all yeah. the good shit, but even their brownies and their cookies and they don't have the preservatives in them. It's like, all organic. Their yeah. brownies come out of the bakery and they'll go bad in two or three days. Mm-hmm. You got to eat them quick because they don't have that shelf life. Yeah. It's it's one of those stores where if you're tired of looking at the back of things for ingredients, Whole Foods, yeah. you can pretty much just go and grab go whatever. Town, you're fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's interesting. And on that, not to, not to get crazy into this uh, hype, uh, philosophical question again but yeah, like yeah. i would also argue on top of languages and like the gardening stuff probably cooking too is i think a good skill that everybody should know like cooking th- for sure three solid healthy meals i think everybody should at least learn how to be able to cook when they're able yeah to. but they should not be eating them every day no that whole you need three <laughs> meals a day that's fucking bullshit guys yeah. they're making you fat you do yeah. not need three meals a day 
stop it. <laughs> you need one good one, and you're good to go. Probably for a couple days, honestly. Yeah, honestly. But that's that's a conversation we've had before. Yes. <laughs> we'll probably have it again. <laughs> so, we, yeah, we've decided uh, growing food and... Languages. Lang- languai. Languai, yes. Languai. Interesting. <laughs> okay. Well, it just so happens that the next one um, kind of goes along with this, I guess, a little bit. Okay. So it goes like this. Is suffering a necessary part of the human condition? And what would people who never suffered be like? I'm curious your answer on this. (sighs) Okay, so I do have an answer for this. Okay. All right. All right, here we go. Buckle in. So (laughs) I would say that they're using a word here that I don't particularly love. They're using the word suffering. Okay. Okay. And I feel like the suffering that they're talking about would be the anxiety, the the struggle, the hard part of life, right? Uh-huh. That's the stuff. So I think what they're really trying to say is choices. Mm-hmm. Um, because the only hard part in life is when you have to make a choice. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're just kind of cruising through, living, doing your thing. You're fine. So I would venture to change the word suffering into choices. So are choices a necessary part of the human condition? 100% most certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, I particularly believe that the reason we are here at all doing Mm -hmm. this as humans and living is 100% because of choices. Yeah. Um, Yes. Uh, So I don't think that Earth is a test. I'm getting a little bit spiritual here, Mm -hmm. just in case anyone isn't picking it up. Um, (laughs) I'm not, I don't think that the world is a test that you can pass or you can fail. Right. But I do think that for whatever reason, the entity that made us whatever you think that is, mm-hmm. um, is very, very into, it's very important to that entity that we make choices. Um, why? I don't really know. I don't really know. But I know that I believe it's very necessary that we make choices and that we struggle or suffer like this. I think a person who never suffered or never had to make any choices mm-hmm. um would, would you're not a human you're i don't even know if you're a dog at that point i think even a dog <laughs> makes some simplistic choices in their life right um i i don't think that's living i don't think you can possibly say that you are alive if you have not felt struggle in some way well i'm i'm going to have to half agree with you okay because I do agree that choices are an important part of living and you have to make choices, Mm -hmm. right? But I think in regards to this question, I don't think it's necessarily choices that they're referring to. Because when I think of choices, just as you said, they're important, but it comes down to like, oh, choosing the easy way or choosing the hard way, right? right? And we've discussed this before where the hard way is usually going to you know, benefit you down the road, right? right? right. So when, when you say choices, it's everybody, their entire life can make the decision to just, you know, kind of ride the wave of life and take all the easy choices and get rid of all the conflict and not have to deal with this or that, or, you know, whatever it is. And all of a sudden now the suffering's not happening, you know, and and I agree with you. I think suffering is maybe the wrong word. I I think of like anxiety, depression, you know, and all of those can certainly be caused by choices. But 
maybe they're talking about like your dog dying, like sad things happening to you, yeah. or like like being taken advantage of, or well, or like stuff like stuff that isn't necessarily your choice, but bad things that happen to you outside of your control. Right. Yeah, and I could I would agree with with that consensus right. more. Maybe that's what the question. Yeah. Asking more. Well, I I think back to like the conversation that I had with Kyle a couple of days ago, and when we were yeah. talking about depression. And one of the things I had mentioned was, uh, and I'll reiterate myself, I do think there are people who do suffer from a, an actual chronic illness known as depression. I do think there are people out there I who think, actually suffer from anxiety. I think maybe one out of a hundred or a thousand and that, that are was, diagnosed today actually do. And that was my and that was my argument was like ninety eight percent of people though don't. And I think that people who, for example, are going through these kind of depressions or these high anxiety moments, you're right, they are met with a choice. They have right. the choice to go take, you know, whatever antidepressants, you mm-hmm. know, and get a quick solution to why they're feeling the way they're doing, which probably isn't going to benefit them down the line. Or you can sit back and say, okay, I'm depressed. Okay, I have that high anxiety. Why? Why do I have this? What do I need to do to change it? I think when you have those kind of feelings, when you are quote unquote suffering, I think that is your body telling your body and your mind telling you like, okay, there's something wrong here. We need to make some changes. And maybe that changes a diet. Maybe that changes. You have to socialize more. Maybe you have to talk to your mom more, whatever it is. I think you have to sit there and analyze why you're feeling the way that you're feeling and make organic changes. I think when it comes to the depression thing uh-huh. these days, it's a lot like being hungry. Yeah. So you know how we're taught that if you don't eat three meals a day or every time your stomach rumbles, you're hungry. Right. You need to fill it. And maybe you're filling it with healthy stuff. That's mm-hmm. fine. But you're still overeating mm-hmm. at the end of the day. It's still unhealthy to eat every time your stomach rumbles. Yeah. But we're taught that it's okay. I think that people think it's unhealthy every time you feel sad about something. Yeah. And that if you do feel sad about something, it's your body telling you that something's wrong. You're mm-hmm. in some kind of pain. You're in distress. You need to fix it as quick right. as possible. Um, I think that we all, every single human who's ever lived mm-hmm. in all of history has had situational depression. Yeah. Um, there are simply things that happen in life that just are sad. Yeah. Just like there's things that happen that simply they are happy. They are amazing. Mm -hmm. There are scary fucking things that happen. All the other emotions we accept and we say we're going through this. We're not going to go through this forever. You know, even happiness, you know, this is going to end eventually. But I'm going to accept it while it's here and I'm going to enjoy it. Right. I think that people should have more of that philosophy Mm -hmm. when it comes to depression. I agree. I think that just because you feel sad does not mean that you are a sad person. Mm-hmm. Um, I tell myself that all the time. When I'm feeling down, I remind myself, I say, Matthew, you're not a sad person. Something happened in your life that you're feeling sad about. Right. And that's perfectly, completely normal. And you know what? Most of the time, the next day, I wake up and I'm not sad anymore. Yeah. You know? So unless you wake up every single day truly sad, just mm-hmm. in the beginning of your day, if you're not that, you're not actually depressed. Yeah. I would, I mean, and even, even if you are like that, you know, I mean, cause there was definitely periods, you know, and I don't want to reiterate too much of what Kyle and I talked about, 
But like there, you know, there was a time, you know, a, a few years ago where I, I would argue that I was waking up every morning, you know, depressed. Yeah. But at the same time, my number one solution wasn't, oh, I need to go to a doctor and, you know, make sure I get some pills to help out with this. You right. know, it was it was just the constant struggle, the constant suffering of trying to figure out why I'm feeling this way. And it goes back to like what you're talking about with different, you know, feeling happy, feeling angry, whatever it is. You know, I, I do believe that if we weren't meant to feel those things then we wouldn't feel them absolutely you know there's a reason why we feel every emotion that we feel the problem <laughs> that people have is there's an imbalance of when they're expressing these emotions you know every emotion should kind of be used as more of a tool than like a way of life so if you're angry all the time well it's not going to do you well but it's also not going to do you well if you're happy all the time either you know there's a, there's a balance with it all there's, there's, a a right, there's a right time for everything, you know. I read a really cool quote one time on the side of a grocery bag um, at some, I don't know, Trader Joe's or something. They have uh -huh. those quotes on the side of the bag. And it said, um, if you wake up not excited, if you don't jump out of bed excited uh -huh. for three days in a row, that you should change your entire life. You should, really? You should change something up. They say that, yeah, it said, after three days, that's when you should start to feel excited about something within three days uh -huh. so if you don't and when i say excited i mean like remember when you were a kid and uh -huh. like that new fallout game came or that new video right. game came out when kingdom hearts came out right recently and you were like truly excited like uh -huh. you woke up that morning you're like fuck yeah let's go uh-huh once every at least three days you should feel that way so if you don't jump okay. out of bed excited within 72 hours you should change something that's fair. I think that's good practice. I've tried to actually practice it since yeah. I read that. Yeah, it's interesting. Has it worked for you? Um, well, I've definitely had lulls where it, it didn't work. But uh -huh. for the most part, yeah, it helps a lot in life um, when you have something to be excited about. Interesting. And even if it turns out not being good, it, disappointment is perfectly fine. Yeah. I'm a big fan of embrace the disappointment. Uh huh. Um, but at least give it the chance to be the best case scenario. Touche. Yeah. Touche. Yeah. All right. What's what's the next one? These are getting that's a little a, heavy today. Yeah, they're kind of fun, huh? <laughs> that's that's what they're made for. <laughs> that is, what, yeah. Uh, well, let's see. The next ones kind of keep going along with the suffering idea here. Okay. Um, More suffering, ladies and gentlemen. So, it's, do you think that? So, the first part of the question is: Does hardship make a person stronger? And I think we can absolutely easily agree that yes. And I it think does. we we kind of okay. just discussed that. Boom. Yeah. So, but this part's a little interesting. It says, if so, okay, if hardship does make a person stronger, uh -huh. under what conditions and at what point is it too much hardship? So at what point are you no longer making a person stronger? You're now just hurting them. Hmm, like hurting yourself, right? I'm assuming it's talking about yourself. Yeah, so you know the whole, like, um, it, when you get broken down, mm -hmm. you get weaker and weaker, and then you can build back up stronger. Right. So at what point are you just so broken down that you can't build back up? Is is there Ooh. a such thing? Can you be so beaten down that it's too much? Um, I, I think it depends on what, how other people are affecting you. 
So like, for example, if, if you're somebody who's innocent and then you're sentenced to life in prison, you know, there's, did that make you stronger or is that just over the line being beaten down, just getting kicked in the balls, right? Exactly. You know, so I, but if it's just like you, if there's nobody, if there's no outside force that's immediately affecting your mood that you're able to like pinpoint, then I don't think there's any rut that you can't get out of. But the second that I agree, I I want to say the ans- my answer personally to this uh-huh. is no, there is no there is no hardship, in my opinion, that doesn't make you stronger. Even something like an innocent man being sentenced to like life in prison or something. Even like something that? like your your child getting murdered, really, that's horrible, and how that seems so unnecessary. Why uh-huh. would there possibly be any necessity to something like that happening? Mm-hmm. Um. You know, you got to put yourself in my position for a second, though. Okay. Because okay? I know that the viewers are a little upset right now hearing that. <laughs> okay. But listen, hear me out for a second. Okay. So I am very much a person who believes that we all have a gift. Mm-hmm. I think every person is born with a gift. I think not everyone figures out what their gift is. Uh-huh. But we all have one. And I think that if you can figure out a way to kind of let yourself go, mm-hmm. to give up a little bit of the control in your life and let things be that life or whatever you believe in will put you in a position where you are able to use the gift that you were given. Okay. Okay. So I think that even something like you being sentenced to prison for life and you are 100% innocent, I would believe if I was in that position that that means there's something I need to do in that prison that is so important to, to Matthew, to who I am as a, as a spiritual person, that's uh-huh. so important that it is necessary for my outside life to be given up so I can be in that position to use my gift. So you believe everything happens for a reason? I believe that everything happens for a reason, but I do not believe that everything is predestined. I think you have total control over all the choices in your life. Uh-huh. But I think that if you can find a way to give up the control over mm-hmm. yourself, that life will put you in very specific situations that you are meant to be in. Okay. But I think you can fight that and you can make the choices to never go to any of those positions. Gotcha. It's very scary. You have to have a lot of trust and usually along the path to get to where you need to be, there's a lot of obstacles. There's a lot of reasons that you would think, I don't need to go down this path. I should turn around. Right. Um, but if you can just keep going for whatever your reason is, uh-huh. you need to be there for a re- for some reason, in okay. my opinion. Okay. I feel you. So it's like everybody has like the perfect path in front of them, but it's your choice on whether or not you want to follow that perfect right. path. A lot of times it makes no sense and you just have to trust. Okay. That's, that's where the belief in in religion comes comes from in my right. opinion is that's that's the belief part you right. let go of logic and you allow another force to come into and take over your life okay i mean i would i would i do agree with that you know and and even from for those out there who aren't religious i would argue that that's what you know like gut feelings are right you know every single time you get a gut okay, feeling i really about, like that actually no, i never thought of that yeah every i really time you, like that because i because th- there's definitely been instinct a, yeah instinct 
Because I I am definitely somebody who has issues following those gut feelings, right? Because right. when your gut hits you, logic also hits you, of right? Course. So you find yourself in these situations where your gut feelings like, oh, I really shouldn't do that. But your logic is like, oh, but I have to do that or whatever well, it and is. And at the end of the day, you just want to do the right thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Exactly. But then there are there are tons of times, though. I, I mean, what happens to me a lot, well, there, there will be times where maybe somebody will invite me out somewhere. Right. And what they're doing just maybe isn't something I'm totally into or whatever it yeah. is, you know, and I'll have a gut feeling that's like, oh, I should go. But my head's just like, no, I never do this stuff. I don't like doing this stuff. And then all of a sudden, you know, you hear the day after like, bro, you should have been there. Oh, yeah. This happened and this happened. And- Dude, how many times there was one time in my life. Um, where I knew I shouldn't have turned left. Mm-hmm. I just knew going left down this street, I don't know why, but it was the wrong decision. And I, th- I just, but it was the convenient one. I needed to go right. down that street. Mm-hmm. And I went down the street, Adam, and I got arrested. Really? I got arrested when I was a, a, a youngster, you know, a teen. You know, it's funny that this has actually happened to me. And it me. would not have happened had I gone right, by the way. I'm 100% positive in, tw- in hindsight. It's funny that you bring up like the police situation because this is actually that kind of gut feeling I was talking about. This has happened to me every single time before I've gotten pulled over mm-hmm. and every time before I've gone into a car accident. You just know you shouldn't, yeah. but you say, well, I've but done it a hundred do. times. I'm just going to do it mm-hmm. real quick. It's the easy thing. Every single time I have gone into a car accident, I can I can literally describe to you what the feeling uh-huh. is like an hour before getting into a car accident. So, yes, you I know? believe that if, if you can let go mm-hmm. and listen to those feelings, you know right and wrong. You know what right. you should do. You know, mm-hmm. it's hard to admit it, but we all have that. Yeah, of head. course. Yeah. If you listen to it, it's worth it. Yeah. Every fucking time. Yeah. Every time. Call it instinct. I guess if you're not religious, which probably most millennials really aren't, um, just call it call it instinct. Call it science. Yeah. You know, and it, it works. Fill in the blank with that. Yeah, I agree with you. It's uh, just... Like I said, I, I can pinpoint all of those feelings, you know, That's every funny. single time. I've, I've told you uh, so many times, just as you add, that uh-huh. I believe that atheists are some of the most spiritual people out there. Oh, yeah. It's well, just funny to me. Well, and I, I agree with you. I mean, and even you and I, because I'm not, you know, the, the biggest religious person, but you and I do believe actually in a lot of the same things. It just comes down to you and I kind of just call it something differently. You I know? think that's what it comes down to. Not to digress yeah. too much. We're, this is not going to become a religious podcast, no, no. guys. But um, <laughs> just quickly, since we've opened the can, mm-hmm. I think that pretty much all the religions out there really do tell the same story yeah. with different characters and different words. Yeah. I think that they all have the same fucking story. And and I agree with you at, at its core. It's all, Like I said, I've, I've always described the game of religion as a game of telephone, right? You know, there was one story, five different people told their friends and yeah, it became all of this thing. I also, the last little quick thing too, is I think when a lot of people say that they don't like religion, Mm -hmm. if they looked into it more, what they really mean to say is they don't like the church system. Yes. Which I agree with you guys. (laughs) I agree. I don't like the church system either. The second you mix like- church and religion- coincide but are two different things yeah well just and the second you mix like religion and money and government like that's what oh, i don't like just... church system i think church system is totally humanized yeah i agree yeah, with you totally perverted i agree with you but like you said so, uh, we'll save religion for another day guys because yeah. we do have a lot to say about religion but what we got going on what's the next one well this one's kind of fun i guess this is kind of the the cap like the conclusion of the whole hardship thing okay so it says um 
Would things get better or worse if humans focused on what was going well rather than what's going wrong? So, and this is interesting because we know scientifically they've proven your brain does indeed focus on negatives. Yes. Uh, for survival. Yes. You know, it's more important to know what not to do. Yeah. You think if the brain was wired the opposite to focus on goods, what would that do? So I think in order for – this is this is going to sound maybe a little over the top, but like I oh, think sure. in order – to be happy, you almost have to focus on the negative. So the way that I look at it, for example, mm-hmm. is I I can honestly say, and I sometimes I fail at this greatly, but I can honestly say that every day I do try to make strides to be a better person than the person that I was yesterday. Right. Well, if I feel like if somebody is constantly focusing on the positives of themselves and their life and everything, well, then what's there to improve on? So now you're stagnant. Now you're not moving. You know, even if I'm the kindest person in the world and everybody reveres me as the kindest person in the world, I personally have to revere myself as an asshole so that I can constantly make an effort to be more kind. So I think that's a very honest answer. Yeah. I think that was not the first easy answer to give. That uh-huh. was actually thinking about it for a second. Yeah. Because um, it comes down to the saying, it goes something along the lines, you can't make fire without friction. Yeah. So if you want a beautiful fire that's warm and will keep everyone happy, mm-hmm. there has to be some friction to make that. Well, So you have to, you kind of have to focus on the negatives and have that friction mm-hmm. so that you can come out and fix them and be the fire. Well, and the thing is, I think we've all met, you know, narcissists out there that think, you know, they're godlike or <laughs> that think they're godlike or that they're, you know, better than everybody else or the kindest soul or the best looking soul, whatever it is. Usually they're dicks, you right? Know? People and don't usually like those they're people. dicks and people don't like them. Exactly. Because in their mind, oh, well, there's nothing left for me to improve on. But is that person... Uh In their little world, through Uh their eyes, are they happier day-to-day than you are or I am? I don't think they are. I don't think they are either. I would argue that they're probably more depressed. I would too, Yeah, honestly. That's funny that – yeah. I I would argue that they – because, I mean, we've talked about this before. There are things that we need in life, right? We need social interaction. We need – you know, and not going beyond social interaction, you need friendly social interaction, right? It can't constantly be conflict, right? You know, right. you need friendly social interaction. You need to be constantly making self-improvements. And I think we see this a lot with older generations that, right, at some point people get older, then they just stop, right? I'm not going to learn anymore. I'm not going yeah. out anymore. There's no reason to make any more new friends. And usually those are the people that become bitter and cynical, well, usually you pass away pretty quickly after you stop doing things. Exactly. You know, yeah. they become stressed out. Your brain what, gets old. Yeah. Whatever it is. I know that. So it's in, when I asked, you know, would the narcissist be happier? And you said, no, it's interesting because I used to be someone mm-hmm. who really believed. Okay. I truly believed that you should be the best at everything you do. Uh-huh. And I understood that you can't always be the best. Mm-hmm. But you should tell everyone that you are the best and your story should all I used to believe this I don't need more guys okay that I used to believe that you should always tell your story as if you are the best mm-hmm. you're always advertising yourself and 
looking back on it now, I didn't realize at the time, but looking back, I created so much more stress and so much more unrealistic expectations for myself Mm -hmm. that I had to carry around every day. I found myself being so much more disappointed Mm -hmm. when other people did not agree that I was the best at things. Right. Um, Because I made it a point to be and they didn't. So that means I deserve it more, right? Right. No, who the fuck am I? I don't deserve shit. So after realizing this and kind of letting it go Mm -hmm. a little bit in the last few years of my life, um, I'm more okay now with not being the best. I don't really so much mind if I'm the stupidest person in the room. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's really, there's a weird comfort that comes with accepting that you are not the greatest. And that you really, you don't fucking deserve to be the greatest. Who am I to say that I should be the best at anything? Right. I don't really work particularly hard at anything. You know what I mean? And And it's just a relief. It's like a weight off your shoulders when you accept other people are better than you at things. Well, and going off of your analogy about, you know, being able to accept that you're the dumbest person in the room, when you accept that you're the dumbest person, well, you're more willing to take in lessons and stories from other people. And all of a sudden now, something that maybe you weren't good at yesterday or knowledgeable about yesterday, now all of a sudden you're a little bit smarter. Yeah. You know, whereas if you go in there and you say, well, I'm the smartest person in this room, well, you've already closed off yourself to learning anything to listen to people's experiences and now you're just that person who expects everybody else to listen to yours well and the first thing you do when you come out like that is you immediately piss everybody off yes because even if we all know that you're einstein Mm -hmm. even if albert einstein walked in the room none of us want to fucking hear him say that he's smarter than us yes we know einstein we know you're smarter Mm -hmm. We don't want to talk about that. We want to talk about what we're good at. Yeah, exactly. Because we all want to be acknowledged for something. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I didn't understand that back in the day. I can see where narcissists are coming from. Yeah. I feel that I've had a little bit of both of the sides of the field. Mm -hmm. Um, And from the experience, I can say the side I'm on now is a lot. I'm a happier person. Yeah, and I and I think we've we've all had those narcissist moments. I I think it comes down. you know, to simple things of not seeing things from other people's perspective, right? You know, I think we've all been at jobs where we've disagreed with whatever coworkers, what coworkers do or what this, even in school, what this teacher's doing or how they're teaching yeah. and stuff. But the reason why we have those thoughts is because we're sitting there and going, well, if I were the teacher or if I oh, were the sure. manager, I would run the place like this or do it like uh, what's this. What's the one everyone does it the most common with? Uh, the fucking president. Oh, right? yeah. <laughs> Regardless of if it's Daddy T or about any any president, everyone says, oh, I could do it better. Yeah. We should do it this way. We and, should do it um, this way. And nothing gets solved. Usually, the few times that it happens in life where that person does mm-hmm. get to be in that position, never happens with the president, but there's other things, you know, mm-hmm. the military, command, stuff like that. Um, almost every single time when that person does get there, they go, oh, now I yes. get it. Yes, exactly. And they'll say things like, oh, well, I didn't know the whole picture. Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't have all the details. So how could I have known? Well, and I think that happens with, with jobs especially. And going back to the closing yourself off when you decide those things, if you decide like, oh, I could run this place better than the manager can, well, you've already closed yourself off to learning anything that that manager might be able to teach you. Well, and quite frankly, you live in the one country on planet Earth where it's the easiest to go out and live your own dream. Exactly. So if you're going to do it anywhere on planet Earth, you're already here. Go yeah. make your own shop and do it better than your boss yeah exactly totally an option in this country you know but it's but yeah i 
to sum it all up, I think in order to be positive, you ha- I think that's why we focus on the negative so that we know what we have to listen to improve on and you know what to do. And I mean, it got us this far. I think just like anything, there's balance. Mm-hmm. Yep. That imbalance is the most important thing in all of life. You can't cheat it. Um, if you if you think because there's Disney people too, what we call Disney people who mm-hmm. live in fucking Mickey Mouse land all day yeah. long because everything's rainbows and flowers. And yeah. those people are obnoxious as hell. Mm-hmm. Okay. But we've all had the the scene kid who's yeah. just constantly, it's so and those people are obnoxious as hell. Yes. So you have to find a balance. Exactly. It's the most know? important thing. And even if you want to be over the top about something, you just it comes back to the other people's perspective. You have to understand that other people are not. It's like what you're saying about the intelligence, right? If Albert Einstein walks into a room, everybody knows they're the most intelligent. We already know. Nobody dude. wants to hear it. And honestly, if he does doesn't talk about it if he's humble mm-hmm. people are more prone i think to tell him albert you're so smart yes you're a gen- when he gets something right they'll go dude you killed it you're a fucking genius mm-hmm. but if he's constantly saying it they're gonna pick every single moment that they can possibly find where mm-hmm. albert fucks up yes because they are going to try adamantly to disprove that he is not a genius yes that is very true and i right? think you see that that's in- what i would do yeah well i'd I, be like I, your shoes tied backwards fucking idiot well i think you know? <laughs> and i think you see that every single day there there was somebody that i used to work with who uh years ago but they they always loved one-upping people right so you okay. would, so if you said you were tired they were more tired were because of this you know whatever sure. it was but because of that it got to this point to where people would like literally like get really detailed where, well, I'm exhausted because of this, 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 and this, and this, and this. So what's your fucking excuse? Yeah. It just pissed people it off. Just, no one wants to hear you know? it. Whereas if if somebody notices that you're one-upping them, mm-hmm. they're more prone to go and say, hey, man, you're fucking killing it today. Yeah. Like, where did this come from? Exactly. You know what I mean? And or, that feels good when people notice you. Or if just going back to the humble thing, if you come to work and you're super exhausting, you don't tell anybody, and then somebody asks you and you tell them why, well, that person's more likely to empathize with you well, now. Because they're interested. It's their idea. Exactly. It's the same thing with, with psychology. Mm-hmm. I mean, it all comes down to that. If yeah. you can make someone think it's their idea... They're going to put 110% effort into it. I agree. So it's, psychology is crazy, man. But it's fun to think about. It's the brain. And it's important. It's self-improvement. All right. I think we have time for one more. One more? Yep. Okay. Let's see. Maybe we can find a, oh, usually they mix in little ones here. Let's see. Is there like a good one-liner? Yeah, there's a lot of ones about hardship and stuff. Oh, here's a fun one to end it off with. Okay. What we got? Kind of light. So what benefits... Does art provide society? And more interestingly, does art hurt society in any way? Mm. Is there any way art can hurt society? So just to get that one out of the way, I don't think art hurts society in any way. Um, And I'm referring to like... I mean, if, well... I can't think of any instances. No. I mean, unless you have a serial killer who likes to fucking, you know, put their bodies in certain shapes and stuff. That's probably hurts society a little bit. Would that but, be art, though? Well, art's subjective, isn't it? That's so, true. Because yeah. it would indeed be art to that killer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, He exactly. would think it's art. You know, and I think a lot of serial killers actually look at themselves as artists. As artists. Yeah. I think so, too. But... If we're just going to things like painting, sculptures, you know, stuff that's like that. That's what immediately came to mind. Yeah, that's okay. Just to make sure we're clarifying. So I don't think it hurts society. 
Um, I think it helps society greatly in the sense that it forces you to look at something and analyze it, you know, and kind of think outside of the box and create your own stories with things, which I think is just an exercise for your mind and that's very healthy for you. However, there are things that, and this is a little off topic from what this question's asking, but I'm sorry, if you fucking take a canvas, a square canvas, and you paint it blue, that's not fucking art. You can't fucking put that up in a fucking art gallery. So people think and it say, is. And people spend thousands upon thousands upon so thousands So that's my only on issue with art. Yeah. So the only thing that, because I agree, the concept of art, the concept of creating something mm-hmm. that's beautiful, how could that possibly be bad? Right. Right. So the only thing I can think that does, doesn't cripple society, but it injures it a little bit, uh-huh. is the status that's involved with yes. art. So not everyone really has the opportunity to enjoy art in the same way. Mm-hmm. Typically, I think it's very hard to argue against this, typically um, it is the wealthier echelon of society who has more opportunity to enjoy art. They have more time to enjoy it, they have more resources to get to the art, um, and they have more resources to collect the art if they want to, to bring it home with them, to find inspiration in it. Um, A typical person, like myself, who's not even poor, Mm -hmm. a a middle class person, I would have to really seek time and energy out of my day to go and enjoy art. Yes. So that, I think, hurts a little bit. The the fact that it divides society into two different statuses. Yeah. And that anytime a human has more opportunity than another human, they're going to inherently get some elitism. They're going to mm-hmm. think that they are better. Yeah. Or at least that they deserve it more. Because you have to justify it. Why do I have all this and that person doesn't? Right. Because clearly I deserve it. Okay, mm-hmm. I feel better now. I can move on. You know? Whereas I think something like art that you can't eat or go to sleep with or do anything to keep yourself alive with, that should be able to be enjoyed at the same level by everyone. Yeah. I And I agree with you. I, I think what happens with like the wealthy in art is it creates, as you said, elite, elitism, yes. right? And I, re- I mean, I remember watching something once I was talking about like the business of art, you know, to where like r- really the, the, the art critics, the ones who are like, oh, this is a fantastic it's piece. It's all artificial. It's all artificial. It's like exactly. the diamond industry. You yeah. Know diamonds are fucking um, worthless. You know that there's so many fucking diamonds on earth right now that are cut and ready to go that they're literally, if they put them all out, it'd be like 10 bucks to buy a diamond. But it's just because people worthless. want them. Yeah. They're worth tens of thousands because they artificially put them out just a few at a time each year. Yeah. Same thing with art. Mm-hmm. Art in itself is valueless. It mm-hmm. has zero actual inherent value to keep you alive with. Right. But it's artificially blown up mm-hmm. by the fact that it creates a status. There's so much money involved. Right. I have a similar issue with jewelry. Mm-hmm. I love jewelry. I think it's beautiful. But I also think that everyone should be able to wear it. Yeah. There's enough gold on earth. Gold is a very valueless commodity. It You can't build anything out of gold. It's not strong enough to make a tower out of. Right. It's um, just shiny. It's a shiny fucking metal that everyone wants because they put a certain amount of it out at a time. Right. I think everyone should be able to wear jewelry. 
uh, the fact that only elite people can really enjoy jewelry to its finest, mm-hmm. that, that that kind of bothers me a little bit. I feel you. And art's the same way. And don't get me wrong. I mean, there's still, you know, you can still buy copies of famous art pieces, you know, for much, much cheaper than like the original would be. But like what really bothers me about art and somebody actually pointed this out to me once and I never really thought about it was I met somebody who we were talking about like Van Gogh, right? Yeah. And they didn't like Van Gogh. They thought Van Gogh was silly and stupid and they I mean, didn't honestly, understand why. Well, and I... And I could see it too, but I just didn't see it from this perspective. I know your opinion on Van Gogh. Was, yeah, well, and it, it, was, it actually kind of stemmed from what this person thought about it. And like I said, it was just something I never thought of before. They, they had told me, they go, I don't like anything that looks like a child. Yeah. Could have just painted it. You guys, it's true though, okay? Because there's someone out there who's going to be freaking out hearing this. Yeah. If you look at Starry Night, mm-hmm. if you look at the original fucking Starry Night, it truly looks like my little niece painted Starry Night. Well, and the like thi- it, there's, <sighs> well, and here's the difference, right? So you have Salvador Dali, right? That did like the melted clocks yeah. and the, those kind yeah. of paintings, right? And he's he does a lot of really good intricate fucking shaded paintings, you know? Right. And so, but with Star, so Starry Night, for example, if you go online, you can find tons of people who have done their own version of Starry Night, and some of them look pretty damn close to the yeah, original. Yeah, they're not that far off from yeah. the original. Exactly. But you don't see that with like Salvador Dali paintings. No. You don't see that with like even even a a very basic artist like Thomas Kincaid. You know, you don't see that that with a lot of his paintings. That just perpetuates our idea that it's not how much talent goes into the art. It's what everyone agrees is good art. Exactly. That's what makes you a great artist. Exactly. And a lot of the times it's just the person too. I I think the reason, like Van Gogh, for example, is known for cutting off his ear, right? A piece of it. You know, yeah, a piece of it. But you hear things like that and you're like, oh, this artist, he cut off his own ear for his art and all of a sudden it makes his fucking paintings, you know, worth a whole lot more. No, I think he was a little batshit. I think he just actually went kind of crazy. Well, he did go kind of crazy. But when Van Gogh was alive, he was not like a popular artist. He was right. not a high-selling right. artist. It wasn't until stories about him wasn't, started to be told. Uh, same thing with Andy Warhol. Wasn't Warhol not very famous when he no, was he alive? No, was, he was very famous when he was he alive. He was famous when he yeah, was alive? Yeah, super oh, okay. famous when he was alive. But that's a good example of somebody who really just sold his personality. His art was really something anyone could do. It's, it's kind of like sketch art, isn't it? Yeah, he, I mean, he did a lot of things. He did anything from like f- like little films to art, like sculptures. Did you, and... know, did you know Hitler was an artist? Oh yeah, he loved art. Um, he painted a lot of desolate scenes, a lot of desolate landscapes. Really? That was his thing. <laughs> they're well, they're pretty good. Wasn't uh, wasn't far from the truth there. <sighs> well, to end that on that note with Hitler. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening today, guys. And uh, honestly, after our little conversation about art, I think it's art would be a good one to do a whole podcast about one day. I think there's it a lot be. to be said and about just, art. Just just to kind of put a cap on the art thing, I would say that as much as I talk shit about it, mm-hmm. I love art. Yeah, I have a huge amount of respect for people who can do art easily mm-hmm. because my brain does not easily do art. Right. So I really look up to artists. Mm-hmm. I think anyone can be an artist. You don't need to be trained. Yeah. And I think we should all 
do a little bit more to to try to create more art. Yeah. I think it's really good for your brain and for your psyche to create art. I I do agree with that. I I think just I don't want anyone to think I'm an art hater because I talked a lot of shit about society and art. Right. But in its essence, creating art is a beautiful thing. Well, I love it. It kind of it kind of related back to a previous subject. It's kind of like what we were talking about with religion, right? It's very religion and church are very different things, right. you know. And I would argue the same thing with like art and the society of art, you Correct. know. It's Correct. it's very different. But anyways, but anyway, guys, guys. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for listening to today's podcast, guys. We do really appreciate it. We enjoy doing these philosophicals and the hypotheticals and the conversations. And if you guys have something specific you'd like us to focus on for a podcast, just leave it in a comment below. Otherwise, uh, remember, you can follow us on all the social media platforms. I'm not sure if our GoFundMe is still going, but if you want to go on there and try to donate, go on there and try to donate. You know? Yeah. And uh, any <laughs> final words, Matthew? We love you guys. I can't wait to see you tomorrow. All right, guys. Thank you for listening to one month of Hartley Millennial Podcast. Mm. And we're not done, so we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye.